Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. This episode of The Short-Term Show is brought to you by The Short-Term Shop. If you're interested in buying a short-term rental in one of the top vacation markets in America, just go to theshorttermshop.com and click Get Connected with an Agent. If you purchase a home with the shop, you'll have access to all of our client-only benefits, such as training on how to manage your short-term rental. So we'll teach you everything you need to know from how to set up your Airbnb and Verbo listings to how to use the property management software that you'll need to streamline your business, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners, handy people, etc. We've taught thousands of people just like you how to buy and manage their vacation homes from anywhere in the world. So head on over to theshorttermshop.com and click get connected with an agent to get started. I do have to mention that we're brokered by eXp or else I get in trouble. We'll see you guys over there. Hey guys, welcome back to the short-term show. I'm going to apologize in advance because I'm getting over a cold and I sound very out of breath when I talk too long or my sentence is too long. So I'm going to apologize for that. Hopefully uh, this guest will have enough to say that I don't have to talk too much. Uh, today we've got a really cool set of guests, Michael and Elizabeth Chang. I've known them for like six years now. It's been a long time. Maybe not six, maybe five. Because we were just talking about offline that I was pregnant with my our first kid the first time I talked to them. So that would have been about five years ago. Anyway, nobody cares. Uh, they are really cool because they mixed several different short-term rental strategies instead of just one and several different types of markets. So I'm really interested to kind of dive into this with them and hear their thoughts on these different types of strategies and markets and mixing them together. So I uh, think you guys have heard enough from me. How's it going, Michael and Elizabeth? We're doing well. Thank you for having us on the show. Yeah, yeah thank so you much for having us. Super yeah. excited. I'm super excited too. So why don't y'all start off by just telling us a little bit about yourselves? Sure. Uh, I'm Michael Chang. Um, we have a business. We've built a 26-unit Airbnb portfolio together with my wife since 2017. Uh, we live in New York City and... Avery, we've known Avery for yeah, five, six years now, and um, it's been a great experience working together on buying properties in the Smoky Mountains, and it's allowed us to combine our rental arbitrage portfolio and our own portfolio together. And, you know, that's been a really powerful combination for us and really excited to share our, our journey and our story. Perfect. And then, uh, yeah, I'm Elizabeth Chan, um, real estate investor and also entrepreneur. Like Mike mentioned, we have a property management company specializing short-term rental with a mix of rental arbitrage and our buy and self-manage portfolio. So which is enable us to continue to grow this portfolio year over year. Uh, and I lead um, primarily, I lead our property acquisition, our design build out and also our guest experience design. Here we go. <laughs> awesome. So I have a lot of questions that I want to ask you guys surrounding all of this, but first let's just kind of lay the groundwork for the listeners. So where do you own your properties and where do you arbitrage your properties? What markets? Perfect. Um, so we, so first of all, we live in New York city, so we manage everything remotely. 
Um, I come from a I come from a finance background, come from an investment banking background, and Liz is from fashion background. So kind of combining our skills to build this portfolio. But we own six vacation rental cabins in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, and we have twenty apartments that we use a, a strategy called rental arbitrage that we operate as Airbnbs. So that and makes up our twenty sixteen portfolio. Those are in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, gotcha. Um, well, I want to go straight into asking you what which one you prefer, the arbitrage or the owned properties. But I feel like that's a later question. But go ahead, let's hear it. Yeah, I think for for us, rental arbitrage in the urban city, I think that's a great way to scale because you're a we focus on multifamily where there are hundreds of units in the building. So it allows us to scale quickly. And really we see it as where we sharpen our pencil. You have to learn how to build a team and operate. And especially we live in New York City, we really have to learn how to grow this business, force us to grow this business remotely. So urban is where we sharpen our pencil, gain the confidence to really enable us to have the confidence to buy. So we started with three property rental arbitrage back in 17 and really saw the potential of it and uh, in the last couple of years we kind of just doubled down and then continue to scale with um, multifamily developer property managers and that enabled us to really build the confidence there yeah and you know just, just to just to build on this point um we started so we started we started with rental arbitrage actually in new york where we lived and as we got more comfort uh with being you know, being Airbnb investors and operators, then we, you know, then we expanded to Philadelphia, where we were, where we got more uh, apartments inside kind of big multifamily buildings, which allows us to scale and continue to kind of develop and build that platform uh, of property the property management systems that we needed to manage remotely. And then once we hit that milestone, then we're like, okay, well, we need to buy because you know, in the end, buying real estate having the owning the properties is for us the path to long-term wealth. So that's why we divide, we decided to buy and the Smoky Mountains was a natural market for us because we had done the research and we really liked that market. Um, and now combining the two together has really unlocked a lot of advantages for us mm -hmm. that have allowed us to, that has allowed us to both quit our nine to five jobs and focus full-time on our Airbnb business. So you said that you want to focus on arbitrage in those more urban markets because it's easier to scale. And I, I think that's really smart. So I'm by no means against arbitrage. I think that it's a really great way to go to build some cash flow so that you can go buy stuff so that you can own things. And a lot of people ask me uh, if, hey, can I do arbitrage in the Smokies or Destin, Florida, or you know any of the short-term shop markets? it really doesn't work in vacation markets. It kind of has to be an urban market, right? Is that what you guys have found? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like there's obviously cases, you know, there's there are probably a minority of cases where it could work in a vacation rental market. Like in Gatlin, Gatlinburg, for example, if you found some condos there that you can do, but like, it's not, you can't really, it'd be really tough to kind of scale in those markets just because they're just not really built for that. And the the rents just the financials don't really work it's much more advantageous to do in an urban setting like you know philadelphia where we operate but also you know austin is a big market um dallas 
Atlanta, like these markets where there's big multifamily buildings. So, you know, kind of big apartment buildings that have two, 300 units, you can get 10, 20, 30 units in a year. And that can really build some strong cash flow for you. And it's not just the cash flow, right? It's also building that infrastructure where you have the VAs, like you know, you learn how to price properly, you, you learn how to manage remotely, that enables you to go and start buying properties, right? Because when you when you buy something, you know, I would I would I think of like arbitrage is like dating, right? Like you're dating that property, right? Because you have you have a lease, right? But eventually that lease is going to end. But when you buy, like you own that, so you were like marrying into that property. So you really want to make sure that there is long-term stability there. And that's why we like the Smokies and like Destin's great because it's a market that has a long-standing tradition of tourism for one, two overnight rentals, right? Which is short-term, just another way of saying short-term rentals. And you want to find, you want to buy markets that have a long-standing history of that where tourism is like predominantly the local economy, right? Because if you're in an urban market, there's a lot of regulations. And if you buy there and they change the regulations on you a few years later, now you have a 30-year mortgage and you're no longer able to operate that short-term rental um, the way that you had underwritten in the beginning. So that's why we combined the two. And that's why buying in traditional vacation mar rental markets, we believe very, very strongly that you want to make sure that you have the you're in the right place where you can you know feel confident that over a 30-year period that you continue to operate that property as a short-term rental. I totally agree with that. And I'm going to hover on the arbitrage thing for a few more questions, and then we'll move on to the, sure. the owning. Uh, so when you're going into a market and you're, say you don't have any arbitrage units yet, uh, so you're going into Philadelphia, are you focusing on like big, huge new construction apartment buildings? Are you focusing on like the older ones that have a little bit more character? What are you looking for in an apartment building? And I assume you guys are focusing on buildings that it's, you know, it's all one property manager. So you're only dealing with one uh, landlord and versus, you know, 20 different landlords. Yeah, I mean, we don't we don't operate in like condo buildings where there are different owners. So I mean, this is not. I mean, in Philadelphia, it's because it was close to us. But this is really, you know, you can apply this to any market. But you want to look for buildings that you know have vacancies, right? So buildings that are in lease up, for example, where it's just getting built, where it's they're just finishing construction, where they're going to be a lot. There's a lot of vacancies, and they want someone that can take five, 10, 20 units at a time. They're going to be much more open to that conversation. Um, also, we found that I mean, class class B buildings, class C buildings, they generally are more open to the concept as well. Class A buildings, which is our like kind of the premium product, they're usually um, a little more reticent because they already have the occupancy there and they don't kind of need to have the short term rental product because it's not something they really understand. So like B class, C class buildings that are like 80 percent occupied, those are the ones that are really much more receptive to that. Um, and Urban markets are just great because they have just a lot of different demand vectors that come in. You know, if you just fill off, for example, there's sports, there's education, healthcare, uh, business. Uh, there's just a lot of reasons why people come into that city. So you want to find markets like that. And Austin, Austin's another good example, right? It has just a lot of people coming in, um, has a lot of business there. So you want to find those kind of markets that support, uh, that would support this business model. And just to kind of add on to that point, if you combine buying and arbitrage, it really can unlock a lot of tax benefits uh, that 
will help you grow your business much faster and really increase that free cash flow or that that prop that cash that comes into you at the end of the month because that's really in the end the most important thing you know revenue you know what you know revenue is important right but in the end it's like how much cash do you keep after uncle sam like that is the metric that we measure our business by yeah. And just to add on a little bit in terms of urban arbitrage, we find the most success um, to be in like, like Michael was saying, BC class building, but also the perimeter of 10 minutes outside of center city, right? So not too far, but where people can drive and we provide free parking. That has really been one of the, um, I guess, one of the big perk why people decide to stay with us and that has been working out really well and we started with a smaller developer or property managers if you're new to the market try with a smaller one you have a lot higher success rate versus just go straight into the gray start of the world um so that's kind of like how we guess how we started in the beginning yeah yeah, that new construction, that's genius. I didn't think about that, that they have a lot of units that they need to get filled quickly. So by going to a, a new construction, you they might be more receptive because they need to, to fill units. I didn't even think about that. Did you guys start out like that? Or did you start with maybe a smaller apartment building and, say, and have an aha moment and say, oh, let's go try this new construction? Or how did that idea come about? I just iteration really. Uh, we started off. It was it wasn't a it wasn't a new construction, but as we continue to kind of learn and learn the business, we found that those just those uh, those owners and those property managers are a lot more receptive. Just because you know when you have a building that's starting up that have the hundred percent vacancies, if you can you know one person can come in and take twenty five percent of that or you know whatever whatever cap you have with the lender, it's really really powerful, right? Like it's it really. Um, build some momentum into that building. And, you know, we've had, you know, it's a great way to, it's a great way to start. But I, I think if you're new, it's a little tougher conversation because, you know, each, you know, for example, each two bedroom apartment is about $10,000 to do. So if you do, you know, 10 units, that's a hundred, hundred thousand, 20 units, 200, $200,000 of cash up front. Um, so it's a big capital commitment. So when you're starting off, it is kind of better to you know, smaller buildings, do do a unit or two, kind of get your, you know, kind of get your sea legs. And then um, once you develop the systems and the familiarity, then, you know, go for the five, 10, 20 unit kind of deals. Um, but I think for, for us, you know, kind of back to how we kind of thought about the business, for us, we really kind of think about quality over quantity. So you'll learn that once you get into this business, that once you establish a reputation in a market, you're going to get a lot of, you're going to get a lot of landlords giving you units actually. And sometimes they don't give you the best units. They give you the units that they can't sell and they will charge you more for it. So, you know, just be, you know, for us, we're very mindful of making sure that we're underwriting each unit, that we're making sure that the financials make sense, that we're not growing for the sake of growth. So really focus on high quality units that can generate significant cash flow for us and then we take that and then we go buy more property so that, that's another kind of key thing it's not growing for the sake you know unit count really isn't the most important metric for us it really is how much you know if one two-bedroom apartment generally can do you know if one typical one does maybe ten thousand dollars a year of cash flow but if it we we're looking for stuff that can do like twenty thousand right like stuff that actually like really moves the needle versus just getting you know kind of inferior units that don't um that are more that that require the same amount of work, but don't actually generate the amount of cash that um, that you need. 
because in the end, like doing what, like, oh, I think Avery, you probably know this too. If you have like what, having a two bedroom versus a five bedroom, it's still the same amount of work, maybe incrementally more, but if you're going to do the work, you might as well earn, you, have, you might as well earn as much money as you can uh, while you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> the goal, right? Um, so one more question on arbitrage before we move on, because this is the biggest question that I see. I mean, I don't have any answers to anything arbitrage, but I see a lot of questions. And uh, the biggest one that people have is how do I get a landlord to agree to this? What do I approach them with that says you should rent to me instead of a regular long-term renter? Yeah. Um, why don't I start and I'll, and I'll kind of pass off the list as well. For a landlord, you know, what they, what did they, I guess, you know, maybe taking a step back, what do they really care about? They want someone that will pay their rent on time and someone that will take care of their property, right? You know, that if I'm a landlord, that's the two things I care most about. So presenting yourself as someone that is a professional that is going to pay the rent on time, that's going to take care of their property, right? That is, if you can convince a landlord, landlord of that, then you're like 80% there. And how do you, so then it's like, how do you do that? It's, just for the paying the rent on time, I'm operating this as a business. I have you know good business credit. I have references. So you're like, okay, this person is someone reputable that's going to pay the rent on time because they're operating a business and they're going to be profitable. And you know, I'm effectively just one of their uh, their vendors. And secondly, I'm going to take care of their property. For us, like we have to take care of the property, and we're going to be actually better tenants than a long term tenant because you know our tenants go in and out. They're probably out most of the day. They're the wear and tear on your property is much less. And every single turnover, you know, every single new guest, we have to actually send our cleaners in there and make sure it's in show ready condition for the next guest. So we have to take care of the properties. We have to make sure everything is is in the right working order so that we, it, because that's our business model. And that's going to be a lot different than a long-term tenant. That's just a lot more wear and tear on your property that when you turn it over later, thousands of dollars of turnover costs. Um, and for us, it's like, look, we'll take a lot of units no vacancy loss and we'll take care of your property. It's a pretty it's a pretty compelling value proposition if you can communicate that effectively. Yeah, and I agree with that and also I think where I see a lot of new people who are coming into the arbitrage world one issue I'm seeing some people they don't reach out to landlords with the professional presence. They might reach out with a gmail.com abc travels, right? So when the landlord sees that they they won't even look at your email or look at your message. So I think how you present yourself as a professional company, property management company, that's really important. Have a website ready, have your you know, corporate deck ready, presentation deck ready, pitch ready. So when you go to landlord, they're like, oh, okay, this person, they're real. They have a website, they have a social media page and they have references, right? So your success rate, you will be better than 90% of people. Just right off the bat, like if, oh, having a website and having a, a, you know, Michael at, you know, changtravels.com, like that is going to, like that initial outreach versus just having, you know, X name at gmail.com, like that's going to put you above 90% of all your competitors. Yeah. So if you just do that one simple task, which will take you literally 10 minutes on Google to do, like most people just fail at that initial, very elementary step. And, you know, so that, and that's the thing, it's, there's no, like, it's not rocket science. It's just basic things that people don't do that put themselves in disadvantage. And the people that learn how, know how to do that, um, they're the ones that ultimately are going to be much more successful in this business. Yeah, you've you've touched a nerve with me there. That's actually a pet peeve of mine is Gmail at email addresses like in business. We were driving to my parents' house. Uh, I think it was 
over Christmas, I guess. Yeah, that would have been the last time we went. And we were in some small town in Alabama and there was a billboard for a real estate agent and her contact info was at AOL.com on a billboard, not like her private personal email. It was on a billboard for all of her potential clients to see not not even a Gmail, an AOL. And you, it really does not take much time to set yourself up a professional email address. <laughs> and I totally agree with that. You got to have that. And that's- It literally amazing. is a five minute thing. And you just go on YouTube and find how to do it. It, it is literally the simplest thing. And like 90% of people fail at that. So, you know, just- you know, if you do something different than the than the rest, then you're going to be more, much more successful. Um, yeah. it, it's it, it's just really sometimes it's really simple business. Like we're like we're not we're, we're not landing on the moon kind of thing, right? Like these are just kind of simple basic steps that um, I think at least for us having a business background that we're like, okay, well, let's do this and and, and see, and you know, you're going to be a lot more successful in your arbitrage. Um, if you're looking to do arbitrage, taking these simple steps is going to make you a lot more successful. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the content of our podcast, but you have additional short-term rental questions, we host a weekly live question session that you guys can join for free. It's at 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. And if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up. So not only am I the host of this show, but I also own and manage my own properties. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. So please join us anytime for a free weekly live Q&A on Zoom. Sign up at strquestions.com. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I really like what you said about the being a better tenant as an arbitrager than a potential long-term renter would be. I mean, I can totally attest to that because I think a lot of people think that short-term rentals get a lot more wear and tear, but when you think about it, you've got a professional cleaner in there several times a week, cleaning up and making sure everything's in working order. Whereas long-terms like people are in there doing God knows what for years at a time. And I know when we have a long-term tenant turnover, we can expect to spend five to 10,000 at least on redoing the inside of that unit paint at the very least, sometimes flooring, um, sometimes countertops. It just really depends on how bad they beat the property up. And I think people don't think about that when they think about uh, short-term renter or arbitrager versus long-term, that it really is a lot harder on the property, somebody living in there for two, three years at a time than having short-term rentals in and out. Yeah. And I'll just share an anecdote with you. You know, people, there's always the horror stories that you see uh, on, you know, someone through a party and then, you know, wreck someone's place. But I'll tell you, like, that is a very, 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 very small percentage. We've been in Philadelphia for five years now and hosted thousands of guests. And we may have like two or three kind of problems. And they're all, and, you know, problems are like, ah, you know, we had to have the cleaners in there for a little longer, or maybe they damaged some furniture, but it's never like damaged the building at, or damaged to the, you know, the actual, you know, apartment. So it's really not as, it's, don't believe the kind of hype kind of thing. Don't believe the hype, like 99.9% .9 of people are going to treat your property well. And if you screen properly, you're really not going to have a problem. And that's, again, part of just kind of learning the business. Like, how do you screen a guest? And how do you make sure that, like, if someone is suspect, you know, don't rent to them. Rent to people that have good reviews, that aren't from the local city, you know. And also, like, price is actually the biggest screening tool of all. Have a quality property. People that pay a, a higher price are not going to mess up your place. It's always the people that are last minute that pay the low price. Those are the problems. So if you can exclude that from your like from your from your guests, you're gonna be you're 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 already you know on the ten year line. So like 
Yeah, sometimes we rather the place like sit vacant for a couple of days than having a really low um, ADR it's reservation. Not, it's it's not, not worth it. It's not worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. And I probably shouldn't even say this out loud. I'm going to jinx myself, but we've never had anyone like actually damage the property. Um, and ours have been on for six, seven years now, more than that. I don't know what year it is anymore. Uh, we started in 2015. So uh, eight years now. Eight years. Wow. I'm getting old. <laughs> um, yeah. So I agree with that. There, Everybody only sees the horror stories. They don't see the 99% of people that just come and go and are nice and don't cause a problem. So Really? Yeah. Truly is. Yeah. Well, let's switch gears here. Let's talk about your owned properties. So your six cabins in the Smokies. So I think the biggest question that most people have who are trying to transition from arbitrage over to owned is how do you do that? How do you choose a market? Um, how do you decide to, or I guess let's start with financing. How do you go from just, you know, renting a property and furnishing it to over to financing six of them in the same market? What does that process look like? So that process, so that's part of the, the kind of, this, first off, that's setting up your business properly. So making sure that your arbitrage business is, is an LLC, that you have very clean books. You're not commingling your personal life or your professional, with your, with your business. So having very clean books for a lender, I think is in the first instance, uh, a, a very, very important part. So clean financial hygiene. So making sure you have QuickBooks or some software that you're, you're showing your PL properly. So that's in the first instance. And second is, if you are, if you operate it as a business, whether it's a short, you know, whether it's a short-term rental, uh, a franchise business, lender doesn't really care as long as you can show on your personal tax returns that you're earning income from a business, then you are financeable. So that is really the key. I think people overcomplicate it, like, oh well, you know, how do I make this all work? It really is have a profitable business, set it up properly, find a lender that understands how the Airbnb business works and then work with that lender, work with that broker uh, to finance your properties. That's how we've done it. And we've done it with success. What is the size difference when it comes to your arbitrage properties versus your owned properties? Because I'm guessing that it's going to be different, but I'm not sure. So can you shed some light on that for me? Yeah, sure. So for our Philadelphia properties, we find two bedroom is our sweet spot. The one bedroom studio, we find you're kind of competing with the hotel a little bit. So we kind of differentiate ourselves with slightly larger two bedroom where you are targeting our demographic is more like young family or young professional. They want to share one bedroom each. Right. So instead of like or two group of friends. So instead of like one wallet, we can target two wallets here. So they can pay slightly more premium on the reservations. Um, so two bedroom is what we do in Philadelphia. Very focused on that particular layout. And for the Smokies, we like to go bigger. The Since we already know operation-wise, it's the same amount of work. So buying bigger, and now we have the experience and confidence. We're not afraid of going bigger when we actually own. Um, so in the Smokies, our properties are ranging from three bedroom with pool up to like a six bedroom with the other room, 3,500 to 4,000 square feet. Yeah. And for just to add on to that point, um, it's the same amount of work, you know, when you own, 
again, it's the same amount of work if it's a three bedroom or it's a six bedroom. So you're just, you're, you're able to charge a lot higher rate and bigger properties just generally do better uh, in this, at least in the Smokies. So that's why we like that layout and that product. But I think the, the, the other kind of big question um, that I think people have questions on is how do you pick the market? And I think I alluded to that earlier. It's yeah, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> the traditional, finding the traditional, again, I think this is like absolutely critical. It's finding a traditional vacation rental market, long history. The economy is wholly dependent on tourism, right? You want to make sure that that is the market you buy in because it gives you the security that the regulations aren't going to change and that, you know, you're doing a 30 year mortgage or however long, right. You, you own that property, you've married into that property. So you just want to make sure the rules don't, you know, don't, don't, don't change in the middle of the game for you and that you're scrambling in urban settings where there's a strong hotel lobby, for example, like we live in New York city and like New York city has effectively banned Airbnbs. It's because it's a very, very strong hotel lobby here. And if you're in an urban setting and you buy, you, just, you really kind of increase that risk for you. So, you know, it, it just things for us to be mindful of that when you buy, like just making sure that the numbers have to work, but the, you know, you want to be in a very stable, regu- you want to be in a very stable area where the regulations are going to change on you. So, you know, Destin, um, the Smoky Mountains, uh, areas in North Carolina, Broken Bow in, in Oklahoma, you know, those markets are good because, you know, again, they have to hit all those attributes that we've discussed. Those, I mean, I think anybody who listens to this show knows that those are the markets that I focus on too. And that I, you know, I always have to preface that my way is not the right and only way, but in eight years of ownership, I have never had to scramble or even pay attention to what the regulations are in any of the markets that I own in, because they're just not changing. Um, because they need us. They need short-term rentals in these markets because there really aren't any hotels. And they're the tourists that drive the entire local economy would have nowhere to stay. So uh, I sleep really, really well at night in my regional drivable vacation markets. Yeah. And that's what, and, and you want to find those markets, right? Where for us, like that demographic is, and, and we, we avoid kind of the really high-end kind of markets where you know, you're really depending on one type of traveler, like for the Smokies, for example, you know, we have guests from Michigan, all the way from Virginia, Florida, Texas, you know, like there's so many people that can drive to that location. And, you know, if you have a bigger property, again, you have, there's a lot of different wallets that you can tap there. Um, so there's just a bunch of di- different things that you really want to make sure that when you buy that you really understand so that, um, you know, this is a lot that as a long-term investment, it really works for you. And, when you can, and again, when you combine an arbitrage portfolio with owning property, it really unlocks a ton of tax benefits that would really increase your cash flow. So that is really the trick for us is making sure that, you know, we're balancing the two together so that we can maximize those benefits for us. And, it, you know, for us, it, it always has been, we have a goal in mind for cash flow, right? For us, like supporting our family and being able to continue to grow our portfolio, uh, to grow our own real estate portfolio. And for us, like having the time freedom and financial freedom, like now, especially with, we have a 13 month old daughter, like it's really important for us to be, to, to have that time freedom so that we can, you know, be present parents for her, which for us is like the paramount consideration um, as we're, you know, um, with the business and not just the financial part. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Are there any, you mentioned tax strategies or tax advantages. 
I know the tax advantages of owning short-term rentals. Are there any hidden tax advantages of arbitrage? Well, this is a you know this is kind of a secret, and that we'll share with uh, we'll, we'll share with your audience here. There is, um, and namely, it's well, it's two things, right? The first is if you own property, there's depreciation, which I think most people understand, right? You get depreciation expense every single year. You can accelerate that with a cost segregation study. So you basically can take a property if you bought it for say you know a million dollars. Basically, 20, 30% of that you can write off in the first year, right? So say it's a million dollar property, say it's $250,000 of depreciation you get year one. The nice part is you can take that depreciation and apply it across your entire short-term rental portfolio. So it's hard to buy a lot of property. Buying property is expensive, right? It's a down payment and you know it's capital intensive. But if you combine that with your arbitrage portfolio, then I can take that depreciation and shield all the income from all my properties. So that is a huge unlock, right? So I'm not paying federal income tax on my arbitrage portfolio because I own and I can put them together and take that depreciation expense and protect all that income. Second part is if you have a high earning spouse that has a W-2 income, and you are a dedicated short-term rental um, investor, right? So you're spending the rule is five. There's seven different. There's seven rules, but the key rule is 500 hours. If you spend 500 hours a year operating the short-term rental business, then you can take that depreciation expense and shield your your partner's income as well. And that is something that doesn't exist anywhere else. And for anyone that's listening that is a real estate investor and has a spouse that is a high has a W two earner. You really need to understand this because it can really unlock a lot of cash flow for you and make this a really, really powerful investment tool. Yeah, uh, that is the number one reason aside from cash flow. Well, the number one tax reason. I think cash flow is the number one reason, but number one tax reason to invest in, in owning short-term rentals. And if you guys have questions around that or if that piqued your interest. We have a few past episodes with some real estate and short-term rental specific CPAs that you should check out. Just scroll back in the feed. One is Ryan Bakey. The other is Amanda Hahn and Matt McFarland. So definitely check that out. We interviewed them both in the past six months and they have a lot of detail that they can provide around that. They call it the STR loophole. So definitely check that out. Um, so the STR superpower, this is STR superpower. Yeah, it really is. It really is. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's talk about next steps. So what is your strategy as a whole with it's a weird time in the economic cycle? That's really the only thing I can come up with to call it because some signs point to a lot of signs point to recession. And then there's these other things that say other stuff. And I'm not going to pretend to be an economist here, but it's a weird time. That's my technical term for it. So are you guys changing your strategy or pivoting or focusing on arbitrage more than owning or owning more than arbitrage or new markets? What's your, what's your goal for the next few years? So for us right now, scaling our arbitrage portfolio is our core, is our primary focus for 2023. Um, in the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, rents have gone up so much, um, you know, the rental market's been really, really hot. So it just really hasn't made financial sense for us. It, it's made a lot more sense to buy. But now as there's more economic uncertainty, there's a lot more multifamily buildings that have come on the market now. So 
landlords are just in a much different mindset than they were 12 months ago. So they're much more willing to give you concessions or discounts off the asking rent. There are a lot of different things that they're willing to do now that they weren't willing to do 12 months ago. So for us, we think there's a real opportunity there to build a nice arbitrage portfolio. And again, you don't need a hundred, right? 10 is a great number, right? 10 and each property can do maybe probably 15K of free cash flow. It's $150,000 a year of cash flow that you can create from just a 10 unit arbitrage portfolio. And for us, that is our main focus, but we will continue to buy as well because of those tax benefits, even though interest rates are six and a half, seven percent whatever whatever it may be, there's still good property out there that it, as we're combining two strategies together, that tax savings that we can get from buying makes this entire model work, right? So that's again for us like combining two, these two different strategies together unlocks things for you that other people that for other investors that don't that can't do that or won't do that they can enjoy so you're going to be in, in a relative you're going to be in a structural advantage you're going to have you're going to have a structural advantage over them yeah so i would say like the first half of this 2023 we really want to double down on rental arbitrage we are already in the in the process of acquiring a 13 unit portfolio. So that's in the work. And the second half, I think there will be a lot more opportunity on the buyings. And then we're already seeing a lot of sellers now are willing to negotiate. They are more flexible on terms. And then creative financing now has becoming another strategy too for us to really tap into. So yeah, I we are really excited about 2023. Actually, I think this, this is a great opportunity, even for new investors to come in. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, guys. So we are to the last three questions of the show. And so I guess each of you will answer independently. Um, (laughs) What advice would you have for 20-year-old Mike and Liz? So I'll start. Uh, 20-year-old Mike and Liz, I think the the best advice I would give myself is just to get started. Um, When I was 20, you know, it was a lot more about kind of saving every last penny and putting the stock market, for example. And I think, you know, with real estate, it really unlocks a lot. Of, it really has really opened my eyes to a lot of different uh, investment opportunities that I wasn't really aware of when I was 20. So I think really looking at towards real estate and just doing something, getting started, right? The earlier you start, the, the faster you'll learn and you'll give yourself just a lot more runway to compound your capital, and that was that would be the biggest lesson that I've taken away from this journey, and I would definitely, you know, hammer that home to the twenty-year-old Mike. Yes, and I agree with that point. And for me, for the twenty-year self, is probably to tell myself, "You will be okay. Just cross that fear bridge." A lot of fear, especially coming from a more traditional Asian household, the our mindset is a little bit more risk-averse at least for me. So really kind of like tell myself everything you ever want is on the other side of the bridge. It's um, just cross that fear bridge. So find that mentor or a group of like-minded people really help you accelerate that growth and cross that bridge. That's what I tell myself. That's a great answer. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Second, kind of similar to the first question, what advice would you guys give a new investor who's getting started today? Maybe I'll start. I would say 
just start networking. Even if you have no experience in the short-term rental, but you know this is something you want to get in, just go out there, tell everyone what you're doing. You're looking for opportunity in the short-term rental, looking for partners, or this is what I can do. Just show value to people in the space. Opportunity will surface, and then you can grab the opportunity and jump on. So networking, I think it's another superpower for even any kind of business you're starting. So don't wait, just go out there, local meetup, Facebook group, Bigger pockets, great place to start too. Yeah, I guess I would say if I was starting now, there's versus when I started in 2017 in the business where we had to kind of learn a lot of this stuff ourselves. There's just a lot of great information out there. Um, a lot of good podcasts, a lot of stuff on YouTube, Instagram, a lot of people sharing their journeys and learning from there. There's a lot you can learn. You don't have to, it, it's all free out there. A lot that you can just learn and just really have an open mindset and learn. And even though it may not be something that you're familiar with or comfortable with, you know, just have an open mind because if you open your mind, then you will see the possibilities and opportunities that you weren't, uh, you weren't seen before or that you were closed off to before. So that would be the biggest thing I would, you know, kind of tell someone that's starting, that's starting at, uh, at zero right now. It's just really do, do the research, um, open your mind up because, there's plenty of opportunities out there, especially in times of uncertainty, right? It's where, you know, chaos is a ladder is, is a saying, right? It's like when things are, are are mixed and jumbled up, that's when opportunities really present itself. And 2023 is a, is a time like that. So um, take advantage of that. I have not heard chaos is a ladder before. I've heard a lot of similar sayings about, you know, buy when there's blood in the streets and be greedy when others are fearful and you know, insert thing here, but I have not heard chaos is a ladder. I mean, I'm going to rip that off of you, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Last question. What is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? Um, I love this book called uh, The Magic of Thinking Big. It's very easy read. It really kind of shifts my mindset from more risk averse to like a growth mindset. Right. I think it's important as entrepreneurship, especially you need to have growth mindset. Every day you're facing different challenges, making different decisions. You can't wait 10 days to make a decision. So really eliminate that fear and really uh, help break that personal limitation. So I think that's a great book for anyone who want to start in this business to take a look. For me, um, as much as I kind of annoyed at myself for saying this, is uh, Kiyosaki's book, um, <laughs> Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's a lot of stuff I don't can't really agree with Robert, but it really did open my mind on on real estate investing. You know, owning assets, paying yourself first, um, and I think when you, I mean, I have a finance degree, I have an MBA in finance, I was an investment banker for ten years, so I was like pretty finance heavy. But even even then. I didn't because I was working so much. I didn't really see how I can do this for myself and personal investing. And I have to give credit to Rich Dad Poor Dad because it really did open my eyes to wow, like I'm really missing a lot here. And that has re- that was what really kind of kickstarted the journey for me. Was like okay, like I can do this for myself, create uh, buy assets that create cash flow for me because ultimately I can only work so many hours a day. I need assets that will generate cash flow for me when I'm sleeping. And that will compound in value. That ultimately is the path to long-term wealth. And I can, you know, I can work myself to death and make a bunch of money, but like that is not that is not a sustainable path 
for me. Um, and, and that really opened up, that's really opened up this entire journey for me. So to so shout out to uh, Robert Kiyosaki for uh, that good book. That's never a bad answer. I know everybody's <laughs> like, oh, everybody says it, but there's a reason everybody says it. Because yeah. It's a good book or is a good book. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great book. Um, and, and really, I think for a beginner investor, like everyone should read that book. Um, cause it really does open your mind up to, uh, to the possibilities. And, you know, we, we're, we've been lucky to, uh, construct this business for ourselves and giving ourselves that kind of financial and time and location freedom. Um, that was really the goal for us when we started off in this journey. And, and it's great. Like you know, we're going to great, meet great people along the way, uh, like you, Avery, back in 2017. And <laughs> it's nice to, uh, um, you know, our paths continue to cross. So um, mm-hmm. this has been a very enjoyable conversation. It has been. Thank you guys so much for coming. And uh, if any of our listeners want to follow you, where do they do that? Well, the best way to reach out to us is on Instagram. Um, our, our The way to find us is uh, Michael Chang BNB. So M-I-C-H-A-E-L-C-H-A-N-G. BNB. Uh, that's the best place to, to find us. We post a lot of content on our journey there. So um, any questions, please uh, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you guys again so much for coming on. This has been a great, great conversation that I think a lot of investors are going to get a lot of value out of. So thanks so much for coming on, guys. Thank you, Avery. Thanks, Avery.